Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, the history podcast from a Baptist perspective. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyon. And today we're going to talk about the book, The Trail of Blood. Not to be confused with the movie, Trail of Blood, which is the first thing that comes up when you Google this book. I was Googling. What what movie is this? It's called The Trail of Blood. It's a horror movie. Okay. (laughs) Which is, you know, understandable. Uh, I didn't get very far into it. It looked pretty bad. Yeah, I was talking to somebody earlier that thought we were going to be. I was telling him what we were talking about on the podcast, and he thought we were talking about the Trail of Tears at first. Which we were also not talking. About. <laughs> no, not yeah. I'm not even sure there's any crossover there. All right, so Trail of Blood. It is. That's the subtitle is summary of Christian history. Oh yeah, hold on. It's on the front cover. Um. It well, not in this edition. It, oh. it trails off with dot dot dot. Yeah, the Trail of Blood. Following the Christians down through the centuries, or the history of Baptist churches from the time of Christ, their founder, to the present day, by Dr. J.M. Carroll. Not to be confused with B.H. Carroll. I was, I was going to confuse That was the first thought was B.H. Yeah. Carroll. Well, the difference is, if you look up, if you get any sort of any Baptist history book, B.H. Carroll is very popular. He was uh, president of Southwestern Seminary okay. in the olden days. Um. Pretty popular guy. Not the same as J.M. Carroll. J.M. Carroll is much less important. And so this is a collection of lectures reprinted as a book, basically? Yeah, it feels very informal. He probably gave it at a church or a school or something. And it's very popular among a certain kind of Baptist. Southern Baptist, maybe, but... Definitely independent Baptist. I'm not sure I've met an independent Baptist who didn't know about the Trail of Blood. You know why it's most popular? Because the chart in the back. Because it has a chart in it. Yeah, visual aid. You gotta look, you gotta look the chart up. It's it's actually confusing. Yeah, I, I had to stare at it for a long time to figure. He out gives an saying. explanation in the book that's not helpful. Yeah, because well, okay, here's the explanation that helped me most. It duplicates. Mm-hmm. So the top chart and the bottom chart are duplicated. Yeah. They're not two separate timelines. Right. They're more like the, the bottom chart is like a explicitly, and I'm using air quotes, Baptist timeline, whereas the top one is everybody. It doesn't make any more helpful. It just makes it more understandable. So it's purports itself as a work of historical fact, right? Yeah. So you have your doctorate in history, right? Uh, Baptist history to Baptist be specific. History, so. Right? So you would have a good idea of how to vet a history book or a work I, of history. I hope so. Right. Um, so. Yeah, he actually says, what does he say? He says at one point in here about his own credentials. Uh, yeah, at one point he says, this is referring to something about the existence of Christians and independent churches. This is a fact clearly demonstrated by credible history. Whether it is or not, just saying that makes you like it puts you in the category of this is a historical book. Yeah. This is it's not the specific focus. So when you do a PhD, you get a specific focus mm-hmm. of you, you like Baptist history, but then you actually focus more. So I'm actually more of an I guess I'm an expert on American fundamentalist Baptist, but generally Baptist. So I've had to read a lot of the Baptist history books. Yeah, yeah the, so the old thick ones. As an enthusiast of history, um, when I read history books, in my unskilled way, I look for things to try and tell if it's 
usable. Yeah. Like footnotes. <laughs> uh, so, so what do you call a historical book with no footnotes? I would call it an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's an opinion because history is, well, the study of history is the study of documents and sources. Yeah. And it, and. For the most part, when I read a history book, I'm anticipating opinions and conclusions being drawn yes. from fact. Yeah, so you take the facts, you make conclusions or connections or explanations right. or arguments. But if you don't have sources, it's just opinion. Yeah, and just giving me a list in the back of a bibliography without telling me where you got the specific facts you're right. sourcing doesn't help. Yeah, so the the amount of footnotes in a book is connected to how well researched the book is it's not necessarily you can get a footnote and use it wrong right. <laughs> incorrectly but generally if you're if you're saying this happened in the past if you weren't there yourself you need to show me someone who was there a credible source uh the closer to the date the better eyewitnesses first-hand accounts that's what makes good history second-hand accounts which we call secondary sources are helpful to understand it, but not to verify it. So, uh, Trail of Blood is a secondary source. But if you went back and you read, like like last podcast where we did Thomas Hellwiz, mm-hmm. his own words, primary source. Then you read a book about Hellwiz, secondary source to help you understand what he said. So you kind of have to have both. So I'm a secondary source in Baptist history. Read the primary sources. Now we're talking about them. Which means if you want to be under, if you want to be credible, you have to show your work. And footnotes are a way to show your work. Which brings us to this book. Well, I was going to say it has no footnotes. But that's not quite true. He does include in the text some references. But they are very few and far apart. And much more of it is just assumptions. Right. Well, not assumptions. Claims. Claims. Yeah. He claims things that he believes to be true. And Some pretty bold claims. uh, Well... What's the subtitle is the history of Baptist churches from the time of Christ, their founder, to the present day. The scope of that, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the scope of this book is 2,000 years. You would expect a relatively long book to cover 2,000 years of history. Uh, And if you wonder what he thought about Baptist churches... From the time of Christ, their founder. Right. So he's obviously a Baptist. Um, okay, so the book makes the case that Baptist churches have always existed from John. He really kind of starts with John the Baptist, but yep. from Christ, from the New Testament. There's been an unbroken succession. Actually, I'll quote what he says. So when you read a book, a historical book, you look for the argument of the book, yep. the thesis. So he gives it to us. On page 77, this is actually one of the good things about the book. He says, the purpose of this book and chart is to show according to history that Baptists have an unbroken line of churches since Christ and have fulfilled his prophecy. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Baptists are not Protestants since they did not come out of the Catholic Church. So there's the claim, which is good. Like you should be very clear in your your thesis. What are you trying to prove? He's proving that Baptists have an unbroken line of churches proven by history. Um, that, just as a historian, that's a ridiculous claim. It really is. Even if it's true, 
two thousand years of unbroken. That just the, the amount of evidence that you would have to show to prove that it was unbroken. So yeah, not, not that it was just present. Right. It's that every year since Jesus, there's been a Baptist church or church that was named something else that had Baptist. Th- that was yeah. That was um, Baptist. Well, he says the history of the Baptists have been have had an unbroken. Well, he, light. he makes the claim that. Yeah, he kind of conflates Christianity and Baptist. Yeah, yeah. So everything that so yeah. he we probably will get to it, but yeah. the way he looks for this, yeah. So an unbroken line for two thousand years, you'd have to have some serious evidence. Well, how is this book even written? So it was written, and so here's some historical. When you, when you want to understand a book, you got to know about the author and when it was written. So J.M. Carroll, born eighteen fifty two, died nineteen thirty one. It was published the year of his death, after he died, actually. 1931. Okay, so it was printed in 1931, but that's not really where the sources come from. So you wouldn't know it from reading the book, but he's drawing from older sources. Specifically, guys like Orchard, J.T. Christian, which J.T. Christian's name comes up a lot when you talk to at least independent Baptist or landmarkist. Um, J.R. Graves, a guy named Cramp, a guy named Ray. These guys wrote in the 1800s, 1818, 1850, 1860. Okay, so there was this big deal in America. So we're all familiar with the Southern Baptist Convention. Orchard's book was written in 1818, and it makes the case, same case, unbroken line of, of Baptist churches since, since Christ. Published in 1818, in, uh, I think it was in England, gets republished in America in 1855 by a guy named J.R. Graves. Graves was a was a Baptist, American Baptist, who was a leader of what's called landmarkism. Now, landmarkism says if you were not baptized by a Baptist church, you're not a Christian. So everyone in your church who wasn't baptized by a Baptist was is not it's not a real church. And the person who baptized you had to be a Baptist church. And back and back and back. So it's like this sort of you gotta trace the lineage back to be a true Baptist. Okay, so that's that's started 1830s, J.R. Graves, in, in sort of like Texas area. It's still there, too. I think the American Baptist Association is a landmarkist. So, so the word landmark, you know where it's from. Uh, remove not the landmarks? Ancient landmarks. Ancient landmarks, yeah. Just clearly talking Are about there any ancient landmarks in your life that you've removed? <laughs> <laughs> remove not the ancient landmarks, which is taken to mean... Stick to the stuff, right? Don't change things that shouldn't be changed. So for guys like Graves, the ancient landmarks were Baptist theology. And they're ancient. They go all the way back to the beginning. So don't change them. Okay, so what's going on in the world this time? Southern Baptist didn't start until 1845. So this is 1832. It starts and starts building strength. 1845, the... Baptist denomination in America splits north and south. What else is going on? Well, we're building up to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So America's huge you know, religious, political problems. Southern Baptist Church splits. So now there's the question of who's like the true Baptist, Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist. These frontier Baptist churches in sort of Texas, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know if insecurity is the right word, but... I mean, that's what historians say. I just don't know, right? I, I put <laughs> motives on these people, but 
unsure of whether they're doing the right thing. They want to bolster their own position. Yeah, yeah so this, the denomination just split, which was a unified denomination for years and years. Now it's split. Now you have two Baptist denominations, which had never really existed like that, um, that on that scale. So also this time, 1830s, it's the, a guy named Joseph Campbell shows up, who's a Baptist, and starts the Campbellites Restoration Movement, which we know now to be Church of Christ. And they said... Baptists aren't a true New Testament church because they have added stuff. We are the true New Testament church, and baptism equals salvation or is part of salvation. So right at this time, denomination splitting, the Church of Christ movement is rising up, the frontier is growing, political things, slavery is an issue, uh, you know, the North region, states, all the, all the stuff's happening. So it affects the churches. So J.R. Graves sort of is a moment, like, seizes the moment with, with some other people to say, we are stable as Baptist because of where we physically come from. Our baptism is stable. He republishes, Graves republishes Orchard's sort of best argument for this in 1855. So that's where this is coming from. This is the argument it's drawing from. Republished by Graves. Landmarkism. Is a huge problem in the Southern Baptist Church. It never really disappeared, though. It was sort of defeated. So this is what J.M. Carroll is growing up in. The idea that Baptist churches are only real if they were baptized by Baptist churches. Which is called alien immersion. Which is the weirdest way to, to phrase it. But <laughs> alien immersion <laughs> is when an outsider baptizes you, like a Presbyterian or a Anglican or something like that. So that was again. So it was really denominational rivalry. Right. Who's the true Baptist? Who's the true church? Um, one guy says it's it's the 19th century version of Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> That's Leon Macbeth. Include Leon Macbeth in the show notes because his book on Baptist history is really good and probably has the best – it deals with Trail of Blood and, and sort of the big argument of Baptist history and where they came from. But he said it was a version of Catholicism. So Catholic Church says we are the real church because we have apostolic succession. Right. Jesus said, Jesus told Peter that he was the head of the church, and then Peter told his successor, and you can trace that all the way down to the current pope. So the story goes. Therefore, be a Catholic. Be a Roman Catholic. Baptists rejected that, and they said instead it's sort of a baptismal succession where we can trace our baptism all the way back to Jesus. So it's it's an appeal to authority that's not the scripture for your mm-hmm. belief. We don't just follow scriptures. We also can trace our heritage back. Right. Yeah, so J.R. or J.M. Carroll is following this this landmarkism. And there's still landmarkists around. And there's still a problem. And there's still usually the spirit of landmarkism is harsh. We're the true ones. You're the false ones. And it's, it's usually a harsh spirit. And it caused a lot of problems because of that kind of controversy. It was so big. And it was so... See, Baptist secessionism was accepted in the 1800s among Southern Baptists. So much so that the president of Southern Seminary wrote a paper that said it wasn't true in 1880s, 90s. And in 1898, he was fired from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary because he said Baptists didn't start with Jesus. So it wasn't sort of a side move. Like it was a big Southern Baptist Theological Seminary was the Southern Baptist Seminary. He was the president, and he fight. He was, they had forced him to resign because he said he, he opposed the Trail of Blood. 
Right. So that's 1898. And it's still a powerful argument. Um, not so much with Southern Baptists, but definitely with Independent Baptists. Because you know what Spurgeon's, what's your favorite Spurgeon quote? Oh. <laughs> uh, you want me to look it up? Uh, let's see if I can quote it. No, look it up. Yeah. It's, so it's, Spurgeon, the great Baptist. Right. It's Spurgeon, so you want to quote it directly. You want to even quote it because it's, it's always better. <laughs> Spurgeon always says things better than everyone else. <laughs> Just get the good part where he says, off, you know, often underground. Talking about Baptists. So he starts off, we believe the Baptists are the original Christians. Then he says, we have always existed from the very days of Christ, and our principles, sometimes veiled and forgotten, like a river which may travel underground for a little season, have always had honest and holy adherence. Persecuted alike by Romanists and Protestants of every, almost every sect, yet there has never existed a government holding Baptist principles which persecuted others, nor I believe any body of Baptists ever held it to be right to put the conscience of others under the control of man. So, Baptists have always existed, um... And if it's like a river that travels underground, you may not see it in history, but it was there. Uh, when Spurgeon says it, you want to believe it. Like, doesn't that, like, motivate you? Like, we've always – persecution couldn't stop us. And we've always been there, but sometimes it's been suppressed, but we always come back. Yeah. Very it's, motivational. It's very inspiring. Uh, historically false. Well, he says – his answer to that assumption. Mm-hmm. History has hitherto been written by our enemies – who never would have kept a single fact about us upon the record if they could have helped it. And yet it leaks out every now and then that certain poor people called Anabaptists were brought up for condemnation. Okay, so there's a premise here about history. That you can actually, or there's a, there's a, there's a belief that you can talk about history without sources. So have Baptists historically been there? Yes, that's what Spurgeon's saying, yes. Is there historical evidence? No. Does this qualify as argument from silence? Uh, maybe as a logical argument, but as a historical argument, it's not an argument. It, is, it doesn't exist. If you said to any, if you made any historical claim and said, but I don't have any evidence for it. There is no evidence. It's no longer a historical claim. It's just nonsense or it's an opinion. I or, think also but, too, as a charitable take on it could be a faith-based claim. So if you believe that Christ will protect the church. Yes. And you believe that that means Baptist-like principles. Right. So that's a theological statement. Right. So even if history doesn't record it, it must be there. It must be true. So that is a theological statement that can be reasonably accepted. Uh, And that's exactly what Graves and J.M. Carroll said was based on Matthew chapter uh, 16. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, if there was so, if you were that, if someone asked you, has there always been a church, a true church throughout history? Yes or no? Yes. Can you prove historically that that's true? No. But you still believe it? Yep. Based on the theological premise yep. that, so Jesus did say that the gates of hell were not prevailable, so certainly the Catholic Church or the whatever church or whatever opposition may be. But it, he doesn't say what kind of church it will be. So then you have to make an assumption or a connection or a presupposition that the only true church that will not that the gates of hell will not prevail against is a Baptist church. Right. And that's exactly what J.M. Carroll does. Which is unsustainable. But it leads to landmarkism. The problem is it rules out every Presbyterian church, every Nazarene church, every uh, Brethren church, every Anglican, every church that preaches the gospel. It rules them out as real churches. 
And that's just wrong. And it's not even a traditional Baptist position. It really arose in the 1800s. Is there anything good about this book? That long silence is us trying to be charitable. There is, so, I actually have something good. So it's difficult. So if the. Anything good in the book, I should say. Right. So the accounts of some of the people. So if you don't have to draw a line between them and saying it's an unbroken line and they're all Baptists, right. it is good accounts of varying levels of faithfulness of different types of people right. who may or may not right. be Baptist. It's when he connects them as a right. problem. So he, I think one of the good things, he actually lays out Baptist distinctives fairly well. Yeah. So page six and seven, he lays out uh, Christ is the head of the church, two offices, pastor and deacon, church autonomy. Entirely separate, independent of each other. Two ordinances, baptism and Lord's Supper. Saved church membership by, and baptism by immersion. The biblical authority, inspired scriptures. Soul liberty. No denominations, which he means control by an outside force. Mm-hmm. Separation of church and state. Do you agree with those? Yeah, as Baptist principles. And you would say that if you find a church that has those beliefs, that they would be a Baptist church? Traditionally, yeah. Yeah, I would say that's, that's the definition of a Baptist. And he repeats that again at the very end of the book. And basically the same form. And it's good. It's actually a pretty – he actually knows what a Baptist is. Yeah. The only issue is is he introduces those Baptist principles as how he's going to look for Christians throughout history. Right. Which makes the assumption that if you don't hold those principles, you're not a Christian that can be found in history. Exactly. So he makes two claims. One, that holding all Baptist distinctives equals Christianity. Mm-hmm. And two, that he's going to find it. But here's the evidence that cannot be refuted. You cannot find any group in history – that holds all those distinctives until the 1600s. Well, he throws a qualitative statement in there just in case. While he's listing them out, he says, you'll always find these even if they've been marred. He says something like that. Yeah. So he tries to say like, okay, I'm going to list some people that don't necessarily line up with this, but I've already said it's okay. But if they don't line up with it, they're not a Baptist, right? If you have- He's trying to have it both ways. Right. If you don't have separation of church to state, you're not a Baptist by any definition that we understand a Baptist to be. You can be a Christian, sure. Uh, if you baptize babies, you can be a Christian, but you're not a Baptist. So which is it? Is he going to follow Christian history or is he going to follow Baptist history? So what he does is he gives a list of Baptist distinctives, which is good. And then he doesn't find it anywhere. What does he find? He finds people called Anabaptist. And there's the connection. Well, there's actually two things. So, So this is pretty common. He finds them that are named Anabaptists, and they're named Anabaptists because they reject the baptism of Rome, mm-hmm. or they reject the Church of Rome. And he says, well, Baptists do that, therefore, these are Baptists. As if the only people to reject the baptism of Rome, or Rome itself, the Roman Church, are Baptists. Which is painfully wrong. Um, it's really hard to, to make that claim. So he gives a list of Nicknames for Baptists. The first nickname was Christians. The next nicknames were Montanist, Novationist, Donatist, Paulicians, Albigensians, Waldensians, and Anabaptists. So Anabaptists sort of covers them all. And this is the claim. For all Baptist successionists, the claim is they were called these things, but they were really Baptists. Which is, that's not an unheard of claim. Your title. Though he does use Anabaptists as sort of a, as sort of a, the connector. So what I did was I went back and looked up a few of these people to see if they were Baptist. Right? And if, if they match the distinctives that he gives, okay, 
It's still not unbroken succession because they could have disappeared and come back, but at least they were there. So he, he makes a claim that the first identifiable Baptist as, as opposed to false churches is in 251, which I had to do some digging for that because nothing dramatically happened in 251 that was, so he says, um, it was in the year 251 that Baptist churches declared no fellowship with the irregular churches. So he's saying prior to 251, everyone, there was just one church and it was a Baptist church. 251, they declared no fellowship with irregular churches. They refused to accept the baptism administered in infancy or for salvation. And thus came the oldest nickname, Anabaptist. So what happened in 251? Can you think of anything? No. It's not a common date. What happened in 251 was the end of the persecution from Decius. Emperor Decius okay. was persecuting Christians, and he died in 250. Well, I don't know if he died. It stopped, it stopped in 251. <laughs> I'm assuming he died. Maybe 250. So when you go back and you look, and this is really interesting, and this is where all these groups came from for the most part. So, so the group that came out of this that he's calling Baptist, he's also called Montanist. And Montanist followed a guy named uh, Montanist. So when you're persecuted... What is the what did the empire want you to do? Convert, or not always convert, accept their religion, or at least like do something like give a token sacrifice. Yeah, because the the Roman government was very in their minds lenient towards the people mm-hmm. they controlled. Yeah, they you didn't have to stop worshiping your deity; you just had to accept more deities. Right, and a true Christian knows that that's wrong, but under terrible persecution. Death, torture, Christians don't always stand up well. And some give in and, and say, okay, I don't want to get my hand chopped off or my head chopped off or my family fed to the animals. I'll just give a small sacrifice to Zeus or the emperor, which is wrong. Well, then the persecution ends. And most of the church leaders, because they were true Christians, did not give in. So they, their life is rough. They're missing hands, they're missing eyes. Well, the persecution's over, and guess who shows back up to church? All the people who had, you know, stayed away because of the persecution. So then there's a decision to be made. Can they be allowed back into church, or should they be excluded? Montanus came out and said, once you have such a grave falling away, so so you fall away and you get excommunicated, right? You deny Christ, and the church says you're excommunicated. But then you come back, you said, I repent. I was wrong. I was scared. I shouldn't have done it. I want to come back into the church. Montanus said no. Once you do some things, so Montanus is about 250, right? This is where he's getting the 251 days, right at the end of the persecution. Once you do things like adultery, so they had a list like adultery, betraying Christ or denying Christ, you cannot be allowed back in the church. Pretty strong position. Yeah. Well, the larger church, the Catholic church, disagreed. So the Montanus broke off and said we are not the we're not part of that church because we reject your church discipline. That's what Carol is saying is a Baptist church. Now, does that sound like a Baptist church to you? I don't know of any Baptist church that would say there's unforgivable sins. Exactly. Irredeemable excommunication for grave sins. Is that a Baptist distinctive? No, it's almost the opposite, though not necessarily. What they're going for is a pure church. 
Also, and so so that's where the the division came from. What he is saying is Baptist churches is really an issue of church discipline. Also, it gets better. They're charismatics, in the sense of the Holy Spirit telling them new things to tell other people. Oh, okay. And the leaders became sort of prophets, which breaks which Baptist distinctive biblical authority. Biblical authority. So he's claiming Montanists, but they listened to spirit prophets uh, that were outside of Scripture, and they also had a spiritual hierarchy. The people that got the the witness of the spirit were above everybody else. So it's not a Baptist church. So but he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, then he goes on. So then you have the next one. This is where you hear most of the Donatists. I hear this all the time from Baptists. The Donatists were actually Baptists. Donatists show up about 312 at the end of Diocletian persecution. So Diocletian persecuted everybody. Then Constantine shows up and gives religious lead liberty. Well, so now you've got this issue of all the people who betray. So the big thing was you, Diocletian said you had to burn scriptures. You had to hand over your scriptures and burn them. So back then, like you had to hand copy every single copy of scripture. Right. So if you burned it, it was, you couldn't recover from that loss. So a lot of Christians did. They handed them over. And so they got the name of Tradorites or, or like traitors. Now they want to come back in church. So what do you do? Same issue over again. So guys named like Donatist, they said no. So the issue came up when a, when in, in Carthage, down North Africa, the bishop, they need a new bishop. The guy that gets brought in, there's a politics there, he had been ordained by a guy who had turned over scripture. So the, they're like, he's not a real bishop because the guy that ordained him was a traitor. So we need another one. And there was a conflict, a split, Donatist versus sort of the church over church discipline. And the idea being, same thing, true Christians will die for their faith. Martyrdom is the highest expression of Christianity. And so the Donatists love martyrdom. They would actually sometimes throw themselves off cliffs after the persecution was over because there's no way to get killed anymore. So they would kind of kill themselves okay. as an expression of faith. So they, they're like, Martyrdom is is where we really truly express our faith, which I think that's a pretty common Christian view. Like, yeah. you know, the martyrs are the witnesses. So all these people who backed out are not real Christians, and they cannot be allowed back in the church. The rest of the church, sort of the Catholic Church, said no, that's wrong. Does that sound like Baptist? It's not Baptist. Um, letting people, if you repent and show fruit of repentance. You should be let back in the church. Yes. I mean, this is, this is the issue of church discipline. I mean, that's, that's the whole goal of church discipline. So right. Restoration. But they were so big on this pure church, which is a pure church is a goal of, Baptist, of the Baptist faith. We only let in believers. We only baptize believers so that we can have a church full of believers. They took it another step, but it doesn't make them Baptist. Did they believe in two offices? Did they believe in biblical authority? We don't know. All we know is they wouldn't accept traitors who renounce the faith to repent and come back in. If that's all it takes to be a Baptist, well, it doesn't mean anything. So that's what they're using. Those are the main ones. That, that's sort of the beginning of the Baptist trail of, of blood. So he, he says trail of blood means persecution. And you can always tell true Baptists because they get persecuted. Which again is a false was it correlation causation. Who gets persecuted? People who resist power. 
So you go to you go to Iraq. If you're a Sunni, guess who you don't get along with? Shiites. But they're both Muslims. You don't say, oh, Sunnis are being persecuted for their faith. Therefore, they must be Baptist. That's a ridiculous statement. Like, being persecuted doesn't mean anything. So I think it comes from conflating Baptist with Christian. Because the Bible does say the Christians right, will be persecuted. Right. So if you assume you can only be a Christian if you're a Baptist, right. then it makes sense to look for persecution. But even persecution, you can't identify Christian by persecution. No. Like I said, Sunnis persecute Shiites. Shiites persecute Sunnis. But neither of them are Christian. And certainly neither are Baptist. So the whole trail of blood, as if you can follow the persecution to follow the church. And that's just not theologically correct. And it's certainly not historically correct. So then he says the Anabaptist, because they were called Anabaptists. But that's a, that's a slur. There's only one, ba- all Christians believe there's one baptism. Well, not all Christians, Orthodox Christians believe there's one baptism. So if you're rebaptized, that's wrong. Right. It's, it's schismatic. It's divisive. So if you call someone a rebaptizer, you're saying you're unscriptural. So they were called rebaptizers. And as they rejected the true baptism, now they're trying to rebaptize people. So then James Carroll says, Baptists were called Anabaptists or Montanists or Donatists, but basically Anabaptists until the 1600s when they dropped the name, dropped the Anna and just became Baptist. But they, because he makes the claim, and I hear this a lot, Baptists are not Protestants because they never came out of the Catholic Church, came out of the Anabaptists. So I did a little research on Anabaptists. So I'm going to list the names of all the major Anabaptist leaders. Conrad Grebel, Balthazar Hubmeyer, Melchior Hoffman, Felix Mance, Pilgrim Marpeck, Michael Sattler, Minno Simons, it's probably the only one people recognize from Mennonites, George Blaurock, and kind of Zwingli. That's it. That, that's the leadership of the, of the Anabaptist movement in the 1500s, 1520s, 1530s. Guess where every single one of them came from? Catholic church. They were Catholic priests, or they were Lutherans, or there was Zwingli, who was a Protestant, or they were unbelievers. So Minno Simons, who founded Mennonites, was a Catholic priest. So where did they come from? They didn't come from Anabaptist line. They all these all these leaders came from the Catholic Church. There's not a single one you could find that didn't come from either Catholic Church, already in the Protestant like the Lutherans, or just unbelievers in general. So where were these secret Anabaptists that were come, like he says they came out of hiding? But where? Like there's no historical evidence. It, it's he's making a claim with no evidence. It just sounds good though. Yeah, I mean, and as we talked about in our last podcast where we talked about the Baptist Confession from 1611. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were very clear that they didn't come out of the Anabaptists, and, or they didn't agree with the Anabaptists. Right, so much so that the Anabaptist <clears throat> Church in that area wouldn't let John Smith join. Right. Then there's statements of faith, confessions of faith, that on the, confession, on the cover of the Confession of Faith said, Christians who are commonly but wrongly called Anabaptists. It's so passive-aggressive. It's so passive-aggressive. It's like, let us be very clear. You're calling us Anabaptists, but we're not. Yeah. And here's a whole statement of faith where they explicitly, in the 1600s, Baptists explicitly said, we are Protestants and not Anabaptists. Modern, so since the 1800s, you go back and you say, well, they didn't know what they were talking about. They were wrong. They just got confused, I guess. Uh, They really were Anabaptists. They were actually living next to Anabaptists, but didn't realize they were the same. Uh, they, they were living among Protestants, persecuted by Protestants, other Protestants, and didn't realize they were different. Like, this is, it's ridiculous to, to go to the primary sources and read them say, we're not Anabaptists, we are Baptists. You go to the Anabaptist sources, they're coming out of the Catholic Church. 
you go back to the Donatist sources, and you see what they're saying about themselves, and it's not Baptist. It's not Baptist at all. So the uh, what's the danger of all this, though? A s- <laughs> Here's the continuing problem. Everyone wants to be the true church that hasn't changed. Right. The names just change. So there's a group called Primitive Baptist. And what's the, what's the name mean? Primitive. Not modern Baptist. Primitive Baptists are older than landmarkism. And the point was, we're the true Baptists because we're primitive. We haven't adopted modern things. Landmarkism. What's it, what are they saying? We haven't moved the ancient landmarks. Uh, so that's what this trail of blood is. We can trace the true faith all the way. We haven't changed. Today, <laughs> what's the current phrase going around? Among independent Baptists, at least. They don't call themselves primitive Baptists. They don't call themselves landmarkists. Oh, old paths? Old paths. Yeah. Old paths is another way of saying primitive. It's another way of saying landmark. It's another way of saying we haven't changed from the old faith. So we are old paths in the sense of we haven't left the path that Christ laid down for us. Good sentiment. Right. And doesn't require an unbroken line. Right. But it sure feels good to be able to trace it and say, we were never part of those Protestants. They're not our responsibility. And it requires a misunderstanding or ignorance of history. To the points where you don't, you just don't know the facts. Or you, you don't understand how to identify groups. I think that might be a bigger problem. How do you identify a group? You first get the distinctive marks that make them different than other groups. And then you go look back and find people who match those groups. You just can't do that with Baptists prior to 1600s. And, it, and all historians, most historians, agree on this. And you look back at these J.M. Carroll, Trail of Blood, Christian, Armitage, all these guys. They're just poor historians on this. And what they do is they change their own definitions. So Carroll says, here are the seven, nine definitions of a Baptist church. And then he discards them all and says the real mark of a Baptist church is they reject the Roman Catholic church. They reject uh, conformity and they're persecuted, which often is what happened to Baptist in those contexts. But that's not what it means to be a Baptist. It's, I agree with Leon Macbeth, it's a version of Catholicism. It's Baptist Catholicism. And it's usually marked by a spirit of pride, harshness, superiority. So when you see churches that that argue that we go back to the Baptist faith, they're not arguing against heresy. They're arguing against other Christians who are not as Christian as they are, not as good as they are. Yeah, we talk about this in other episodes, but when you make up stuff that's not true or when you believe stuff that's not true and you teach it to other people, when people who know the truth or find the truth compare, you lose all your credibility. And so there are current Baptist colleges and teachers and pastors teaching this, prominent ones, and it's not true. And so when their students find the truth, it just undermines their ministry. And it sets up an unbiblical standard for Baptists. Why are we Baptist? Because we're born into it? (laughs) (laughs) We're Baptist because we believe that the Bible teaches 
This is what Baptists do. Right. So if Baptists didn't exist until 1600s, right. would that change our doctrine? No, because we don't get it from history. Exactly. So, But, the, but building a historical case right. for authority makes it sound like your doctrine relies on right. it being believed consistently. Which is the foundation of the Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church depends on apostolic succession. If you could prove to the Catholic Church that the current pope was not in a direct line to Peter, they'd fire him. And if you could prove that the current Catholic Church was not the direct descendant of what they consider Peter's church, they would, well, they'd alter something. But ideally, they would shut down. It's the same argument. If you can't trace the Baptist faith all the way back to Jesus, it's not a true faith. And it goes, it's a theological argument that's trying to use non-existent history. And it's, so the theological argument that God will preserve his church, fitting it into human logic. Right. It's like if, if it was going to happen, it would be this unbroken line that went throughout history. That's how he would preserve his church. Yeah. The Baptist church, we all believe it's the biblical church, therefore it must exist. We, de- we declare the Baptist church is what Jesus was talking about. It's divisive and division is anti-Christian, right? Yeah. I mean, it says a heretic, which means divisive, mark and rebuke. Jesus prayed for unity. If you're bringing in bad history and bad theology that divides, it's wrong. So that's what's happening. It's it's trying to be biblical and historical and trying to, to wed the two together, which is unbiblical. <laughs> um. You follow the scripture, and then you find people in history who follow the scripture too. But that's a that's a one-two step. Step one, follow scripture. Step two, find people who believe it. Step three, follow those people. In that order. And you can't – if you reverse the order, you get tradition as you're not a Baptist. Yeah. Biblical authority. And so these strong Baptists are reversing the order. And so the Trail of Blood is popular, but it's a poor historical document with very little documentation, because most of it doesn't exist. Uh, and even what does exist, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand these, these people. It's a, it's a theological argument that I believe is incorrect. The church has always existed, but I can't prove that historically. I believe Jesus said it, so I believe it's true. And that's yeah. all the evidence I have, and really that's all the evidence I need. Yeah. But I certainly wouldn't write a book called The Historical Unbroken Succession of Christian Churches. Unless the Catholic Church is Christian, because you can't prove that. Yeah, and then as far as what what that means, I think you could say first order, first tier doctrines. Right. You, I think we could be pretty confident in when that Christ preserved His Church in those beliefs. But second tier, third tier. Yeah. So the question is, what makes a true church? Right. That has always existed and doesn't require only elders and deacons. Doesn't require. Separation, uh, separation church, church and state. state. I don't see the scripture saying that. I think those are biblical, but those are not what makes a true church, which we talk about when we get to the Reformation episode. But when you approach this, if you are a fan of this doctrine or this, that is a doctrine, of the unbroken succession of Baptist churches, just know that you cannot prove it historically. And I'm, I'm, let's put a bounty on that information. <laughs> History and Hope will present you what? I was going to suggest a Chick-fil-A gift card, but 
History and Hope will present you with a $5 Chick-fil-A gift card. If you can present evidence that the Baptist distinctives existed prior to the 1600s. It just doesn't exist. Primary source evidence. Primary source evidence. <laughs> sure, yeah, not some historian saying it existed. I want to see a group that had these same beliefs. Not some of them. All of them. Uh, I'm not trying to prove that Christians existed. That's an easy one. It's proving that Baptists existed. And you know what? If they didn't exist, oh well. A lot of bad stuff happened between Christ dying and us here, getting here. And a lot of that could have prevented churches from following the Bible completely. So we just don't make the same mistakes. And Baptists, especially independent Baptists, just need to relax a little bit. Just enjoy being a Christian more than being a Baptist. That same mindset isolates you from good information in other non-Baptist but Christian resources. Which even in the Trail of Blood, he includes. He mentions Wycliffe, John Huss, Savonarola favorably. Those guys didn't even leave the Catholic Church. Like, they stayed Catholics until they were killed. They were all killed, but they were killed as Catholics. He knows that they still represent something good. So it's just an inconsistent. It means you can't have any examples. There's no pure examples, so you can't have any examples. So, anyway, history's fun if you're willing to uh, be honest with it and honest with yourself. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or you can message us on Twitter at History and Hope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice.